Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 6. As we deal with union in Christ. Okay. I uh, texted and said, call Susan, and she said, I did. What a crazy situation. So there must be a simple explanation here. I hope it is simple. Okay, great. All right, Acts chapter 6. As we go through the, the union with Christ, we come to this point where we want to talk about union with Christ in ministry. Um, and, and we could uh, look at union with Christ in ministry and uh, examine all the theological things behind it and um, talk about it, but what I want to do today is look at those who were united with Christ and what they were able to do because of that. So this is, is one of those um, um, times where we're going to look at people and we're going to look at what they achieved because of their faith in Christ. And because the, the people we're going to look at were nothing out of the ordinary. Now, some had great uh, intellectual gifts and things like that. But in reality, um, the reason they were successful and the reason that they did so much is because of what Christ had done in their lives. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we prepare to look at chapter 6. Heavenly Father, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit and give us understanding of what it means to live in this world united with Christ, to do ministry in this world empowered by Christ, to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, to do things that we could never dream or imagine before, but yet with you, they are possible. Open our eyes to this today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Acts chapter 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic would be the Greek, uh, uh, with Greek backgrounds, against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation and the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenaeus and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Sicily and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
when they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. And you'll note that chapter 7 is his defense. And it is uh, 50, 60 verses long, his defense before this crowd. And of course his eventual death and stoning. And it is the way that he goes about this uh, that, that demonstrates to us his union with Christ. And obviously, in several places, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Now, the short version of chapter 6 is this. The church was growing so rapidly that no longer do they give numbers. All they give is, and multitudes were added to the church. So that's how fast the church was growing. Now remember, it wasn't that long ago when we had Peter's first sermon and thousands came to Christ. They were numbering them at that point. Now they just say in multitudes. The the church is really growing. So secondly, Jerusalem is also in an unstable economic period at this time, historically speaking. So you had these people from, um, from all over who were there in Jerusalem for the Passover, and the Holy Spirit comes, and thousands come to Christ, and and these people stay, and thousands more come to Christ. And now uh, Jerusalem is facing, that was already facing hard economic times, now they're facing even worse economic times, because the more more and more people are staying in Jerusalem, they're not going home. They want to be part of the church there in Jerusalem. Third, Satan has already attacked the church through persecution, persecution of its leaders, beatings. Peter and John have been imprisoned already. Uh, we've gone through the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira and what happened there. Remember, it wasn't, wasn't so much that they kept what they said, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Heavenly Father, and they were struck dead because of it. And now, number four, Satan is using division between the Hellenists and the native Hebrew uh, people in the distribution of food. So really, this is a uh, this is part of the growing pains of the church. Um, you know, there, there's a difference between, um, uh, in our world today, a church of a pastor of 100, a church of a pastor of 500, a church of a pastor of 1,000, and the gifts are different. And, you know, there's nobody else to go to. It wasn't like they could go, well, gee, we just... We just went from zero to 3,000. Um, aren't there some books that we can read to, uh, to work this out? And, uh, we need an administrator. We need somebody uh, who's, who's good at, we've got to develop small groups, and we've got to develop Sunday school, and, and all this. No, they were, they were preaching the word. They were sharing amongst themselves. They were uh, participating in the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. But now they've gotten so large that this dispute has arisen. And, and really, the problem is grow, go, growing out of existing ministry. Okay? It's, it's not a problem from outside. It's a problem from inside. And these people are not that far removed. 
from, from paganism or from Judaism, and now they're in the church, and they're wanting to know how this Christianity is to be worked out and lived out here in Jerusalem. Now, widows and orphans, as, as we know, the Bible gives special attention to them because they had no place else to go. Uh, ladies in the first century, if your husband died and you didn't have any children to help um, sustain you, um, your options were very limited. And if, um, uh, if the parents died and the children were there and there were no other family in the area, they were simply on their own. Uh, and it is one of the things in, in particular that has the, makes the first century church stand out was their care for the orphan. Usually orphans were simply kicked out, left on the street, left to their own. Uh, but Christians were, were some of the first people to take them in. So the church is trying to meet these needs, not, not simply the needs of, of spiritual growth and things, but the practical needs uh, of, of, of people's physical and, and as well as their spiritual needs. And since the church is full of people, not everybody has the same view, not everybody has the same priority, they're working these things out. So what did they do? Well, they called the body together, and the 12, it says, it would be the apostles, said, hmm, you know, our, our ministry and our gifts really are the teaching of the word and, and, and things like that. Let's find some others who can do these more practical aspects of ministry. So that's what they have done here. They found, uh, let's look at chapter 6, verse 3. But select among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation. Now, that's the first thing that we see, good reputation. And often, as we get into later in the church, uh, in Timothy, which is probably 30 years from the writing of this, or the, the events of this, they are saying, here's the gifts that the elders and the deacons need, and most of that revolves around character. There, there is the gift of teaching, you, you need that as an elder, but here we see, and, and, and there in Timothy and Titus, character is so important. So they have to be of good reputation, they have to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. So it's not just, um, well, we're going to find seven bodies who will do it, and we'll tell them what to do and train them, no. We want seven people who are full of the Spirit, have good reputation, who will take this on as, as a ministry and as a calling in their lives. So verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the, that would be the apostles, the twelve there. Now you'll notice, uh, you won't notice in the English so much, but it's the same word serving as a deacon and serving as an elder. Uh, it is service across the board. Um, all there are are different gifts and the different application of those gifts. There is no hierarchy here where we have uh, the, the regular members and then we have the deacons which are closer to God, then we have the elders which are pretty close to God, and then we have the pastor who powwows with God on a regular basis. We don't find any of that in Scripture, okay? Certainly not in the Reformed tradition where we are all... It's, it's, it's the priesthood of all believers, thank you. The priesthood of all believers, okay? There is no difference here. We are all the same before Christ. So, uh, briefly, the seven men that they choose here, uh, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, who is later the evangelist, as we see later in Acts, and he gets moved around to, to do certain things. 
Uh, Prochorus, now the Bible never mentions him again, but tradition says that he was a bishop and then was later martyred at Antioch. And then the next ones, we really don't know anything about them at all. They're never heard from again. And such, I want to say, such is the price, the price? I don't know if that's the right word, but that's service, okay? They didn't get here because they wanted their names to be known. They didn't become deacons because they were hoping, you know, to get gold stars on their foreheads or anything like that. They were called to ministry, and it really doesn't matter if we don't know them again. How, what do we know about the apostles? Uh, we only know a, a little bit about a couple of them later. The rest were called to service. So these seven men were the first humanly appointed body of officers in the church. Now, it's interesting. If, if they were out for glory or something, they're, they're, we would know different things about them. Think about this in our t- today in our world, that um, it seems, now this is my, my perspective, it seems that as soon as a president gets elected, they begin to raise money and make plans for their presidential library, okay, where all their papers and all of their uh, whatever else, you know, their childhood home will be torn down and moved and built in. I don't know what they do in the presidential library. But it seems like they're doing this for what purpose? So they have a legacy, so they're remembered. You know, if you would do right and serve in that capacity to the utmost, people would remember you, okay, for some time, for some time. These are very ordinary people out there. There are very ordinary people out there in the world today, just like these guys, who because of their union of Christ are serving and doing fabulous things, fabulous things. Remember Peter, I I use him all the time. He was the denier of Christ. Three times, little servant girl, put the fear of God in him. No, it's not me. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 come to Christ on that day. Now, what was the difference between Peter then and Peter here? Peter the denier and Peter the preacher. Well, he could have preached the same sermon then, but what would have happened? Probably nothing. But here, full of the Spirit, Peter gives the word and people believe. So in verse 8 here, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen's gifts went beyond, like like Philip's gifts, went beyond simply having the gift to serve or having the gift of uh, compassion and things like that. Uh, Obviously, he's performing great wonders and signs among the people. Those are miracles, okay? The miracles in the way that the first century uh, saw miracles, Okay, they saw miracles this way. You come across somebody who is, uh, has a withered hand that has never, never been able to use that hand. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, that hand be healed. And that hand is restored in an instant. That's the kind of miracles that went on here. And that's the kind of miracles that he was doing here. And we see Philip, the evangelist, who went out and, and, and people came to Christ in, 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 in droves at that time. So... So here we have somebody who, because of their union of Christ, was able to do fabulous things. Now, I've chosen five or six people just through history. Some you may know, some you may not have never heard of. 
Um, but none of them started out to get their name remembered um, a thousand years uh, some, I, I go back to one 1,700 years later or 500 years later or, or even 50 years later. None of them started out that way. They all started out because of their belief in Christ to serve him. So let me give you a couple examples here. Athanasius of Alexandria. He was the 20th bishop of Alexandria. Anybody ever heard of Athanasius? A couple, okay? A couple. Athanasius started out as a deacon within the church, and then a presbyter, a presbyter, not a Presbyterian, okay, uh, but a presbyter, a presbyter is a, an elder, thank you, is an elder within the church, a leader, and his name was Arius. And Arius began teaching that there was a time before the Father begat Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ did not exist. So he was saying that Jesus Christ was not eternal, that he was created by the Father. Now, um, um, uh, that's not what the New Testament says. It says very clearly that the Father begot the Son, or only, only begotten Son. Okay, that does not mean that it was at that moment when the Father begot the Son, or begat the Son, that Jesus came into existence. In that word, really, is this eternality of existence, and Jesus takes on the form of a man, Philippians chapter 2. Well, this, these two individuals were really responsible for one of the great battles that went on in the early church. If you see the Nicene Creed, every once in a while we'll throw the Nicene Creed in on worship, and there's a phrase there that says, um, it says this, as long as I can remember it. Um, uh, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. That's talking about Jesus Christ, okay? And that portion of the Nicene Creed was placed there because Arius was going around preaching that Christ was created. Now, what that meant was a big portion of the church was siding with Arius. And, and in fact, Athanasius was sent into exile five, six, or maybe even seven times because of his staunch belief that said no he was eternal. He's not created. He is eternal. And in fact, he was listed as the one who stood against the world. It was Athanasius against the world, basically. But he was the one who prevailed because he stuck to what Scripture says. Now imagine going against the world today. Imagine that you were one of the only ones who held a, particularly, a particular doctrinal view. And everybody else is against you, and, and, and the church is against you, and, and they're kicking you out of town, and, but you hold to that view nonetheless. And that's what Athanasius did. So, number two, Adonarium Judson. Anybody know Judson? You've heard that name. You've heard all these names. I know that. Okay. He was an American Baptist missionary, lexicographer, and translator. He was born in 1788. He helped form the American Baptist Missionary Union in 1834 and eventually translated the entire Bible into Burmese. Now you think, oh, okay, well, that was the day when that was happening. We have Wycliffe and others today, but understand his history here. Judson came to believe in Jesus Christ after the death 
of his deist friend. His deist friend had convinced him that there was no God. And Judson is, is this is while well, he was at college, at Providence College. So a little bit later, he is in a hotel room, and the guy next door, you know how thin hotel room walls are, the guy next door is dying. And it's obvious that he's dying. He's moaning and in and, and pain and everything. And the guy dies, and this terrifies Judson. Well, Judson finds out that the guy that died in the hotel room next to him was his deist friend. And Judson has this moment of, 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 of face-to-face with reality. Am I lost too? He died without any hope. He died completely lost. What about me? Well, that spurred him to leave his deism and attend Andover Theological School, where, Theological Seminary, where, quote, he sought God for the pardon of his soul and devoted his entire life to service of Christ. So in 1812, Judson sets out with his new bride. Ladies, how would you like to go to the mission field of India as a honeymoon, okay, where the average lifespan of the uh, missionary was not more than a year at that time, okay? But they were going to India. India said, no, you can't come in. Uh, So they ended up in Burma, Okay? And when they arrived at the shore of Burma, there were no Christians in Burma. None at all. It took six years for Judson to baptize the first convert. Six years. One, he didn't know the language. Two, he's just him and his wife. He has nobody else he knows, and he hits the soil for the cause of Christ. And after six years, there's the first believer. And he writes in his journal, Oh, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire which shall continue uninterrupted success to the end of the age. Judson died at the age of 62, and according to a government survey, there were over 200,000 Christians at Judson's death. One in every 58 Burmans had come to Christ because of the work of this guy who wanted to go to India. But the Lord directed him over there. David Brainerd. Anybody ever hear David Brainerd? (laughs) He was a missionary to the American Indians uh, right around the time of Jonathan Edwards. In fact, Edwards was was a friend of his, writes about him often. And, And you would never send Brainerd into the mission field. Never. He was tubercular. Okay, and at that time, everybody knew he was going to die, and he did die at 29. But it's the work that he did because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life for those short years with the Indians. Now understand, this were the, these were the type of Indians, and these were the days where you would go, and if they found you close enough to their encampment, they'd just kill you. Well, Brainerd says, I've got to take the gospel to these people. So he sets out alone, and he gets close to the camp, and he's camping there the night before, And there he is in his tent, and he's praying. And the Indians had been watching him, so they were going to come and kill him that night. Well, they they look in, and there he is praying, and there's a rattlesnake right next to him that is, you know, shaking and is ready to to bite, and then the rattlesnake just kind of decides to go away. And the Indians thought that he was obviously something more than just a regular man. Well, that was the first in what Brainerd it kind of nonchalantly writes, were many miraculous interventions by the Lord. And at the end of his time there, and, and Brainerd, Brainerd was a guy that, 
He wasn't on his knees praying against the rattlesnake. He was on his knees praying for the Indians that he was going to go and see because that's where his heart was. He wanted to see these Indians come to Christ. So he would write in his journal things like, this morning I spent two hours in secret duties, that would be prayer, and was enabled more than ordinarily to agonize for immortal souls. Though it was early in the morning and the sun scarcely shined at all, yet my body was wet with sweat. How many of us have prayed like that? It battled for the immortal souls. Again, spent much time in prayer in the woods and seemed to rise above the things of this world. Again, spent this day in secret fasting and prayer. November 20th, he said, I have now baptized in all 47 persons of the Indians, 23 adults and 24 children. Through rich grace, none of them as yet have disgraced their profession of Christianity by any scandalous behavior. And then the last entry in his journal. My soul was this day at turns sweetly set on God. I longed to be with him that I might behold his glory. I felt sweetly disposed to commit all to him, even my dearest friends, my dearest flock, my absent brother, and all my concerns for time and eternity. Oh, that his kingdom might come in the world, that we might all love and glorify him for what he is in himself. And that, that the blessed Redeemer might see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. David Brainer. Judson Taylor. I'm not even going to look over here. I know you know it. Judson Taylor. Anybody know Judson Taylor? You'll probably know the China Inland Mission, if you've ever heard of that. He was the one who founded the China Inland Mission. So at the age of 16... He's right around the house looking for something to read, and he picks up a track. Okay? Now, I'm not one to give out tracks, but I hear people's lives changed by reading something as simple as a track. He picks it up, begins to read it, and was converted by reading that track. He asked no man for any material thing in all of his life. He laid all that he needed before the Lord. So in order to get ready to go to the mission field, he goes to work with a doctor at, at what he described as, how can I say this uh, delicately, a cesspool of a town. How about that? It was a mill town, and it was a terrible place. And he worked with this doctor, and he never asked for anything. And the doctor said, oh, uh, Taylor, remind me that when it comes time to pay your salary, he says, I'm likely to forget. And... Taylor thought, well, there's not going to be anybody in China to ask for a salary, so I'll just trust the Lord. And it took three weeks before the guy remembered to pay him. But he thought, great, the Lord provided in his perfect time. There were storms on the five-and-a-half-month journey to China. There was civil war when he landed there, rebels holding the city. He was aged 22 when he hit China. 22. And then right behind him, 22 and 8 months, comes another family who felt the same call to go to China. So now he was responsible for their support as well as his own. Sometime later, 1865, he decided that it's time to move out from the coast and go across the mountains of the west, inland. That's where we get China Inland Mission. So he's home in 1866 on furlough, and he opens up a bank account with 10 pounds. 
in the name of the China Inland, Inland Mission. It was his prayer to have 24 workers to leave with when they left. Eight months later, he had 24. Eventually, more than 800 missionaries would go to China Inland Mission. He never asked for them. They came. They came. John Bunyan, okay? You know John Bunyan? You probably don't know Mary and Elizabeth Bunyan. Those were his wives. John Bunyan could not have achieved what he did without the godliness and the prayer of his wives. So upon release from his tour of duty as a soldier from the parliamentary ranks, John Bunyan married his first wife, Mary. She had nothing as a dowry to bring to the marriage except two books. Two books. Now what a marriage present. But they influenced Bunyan in a way no other thing did. The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven, written by Dent, and Lewis Bailey's book, The Practice of Piety. These were the gifts that she gave to him, and they changed him uh, immeasurably. So at the time of her death, a few years later, she had given him two daughters and two sons. Bunyan, who is now in prison for preaching the gospel, marries a second time. And his wife is about 17, uh, Elizabeth, when they marry. So ladies, how would you like to marry somebody and your honeymoon is spent in prison there? Uh, We've got an Indian honeymoon. You've got the prison honeymoon. Well, he's got four children. He's in prison. But Elizabeth's life is devoted to his release because he is in prison for preaching the gospel. And it doesn't matter. I mean, we still read books written by Bunyan today and, 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 and in, in great numbers because of this time in his life. She went before courts. She went before magistrates. Yet Bunyan remained in prison for several years because he preached the gospel of Christ. Elizabeth would, mar- would, would go and visit him. And it wasn't until 72 that he was, 1672 that he was pardoned under the Quaker pardon. But two years later, he was in prison again for preaching the gospel. But he, he says if it was not for his wives, the gospel would not have gone forward in such a way. Finally, a name that most of you will know, Fanny Crosby. How many of you know Fanny? Not personally. You've sung her hymns. Uh, 8,000, I think, is what she wrote. 8,000, and hundred, they were reproduced a hundred million times. Fanny was born blind, and she said, Mother, if I had a choice, no, she wasn't born blind. It came upon her uh, six months, maybe. Uh, she had a, it was listed as a cold in her eyes, and the doctor put a mustard poultice pul- 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 uh, on her eyes and burned her eyes out, okay? She never held that against him, never held that against him. In fact, she said it was permitted by the Lord to fulfill his plan for her life. She said, Mother, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. At the age of eight, she wrote her first poetry. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. At the age of nine, 
Her family moved up to where her grandmother lived, and her grandmother would spend hours with her describing the world around her. Now, if, if you, know, you sing some of Fanny Crosby's hymns, just the, the description, you wonder, how could she not see? Well, it was her grandmother that put these images in her mind again and again and again, introduced her to the Bible, and, and began to read to her on a regular basis from the Scriptures. It is said that as a child, Fanny could recite from memory the Pentateuch, the book of Ruth, many of the Psalms, the book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Solomon, and much of the New Testament. This This is the blind girl who did this from memory. In the autumn, in autumn of 1843, she was 23 years old, she was the guest of Congress guest of Congress. She, in her address to Congress to raise money for the school that she was in, she met John Quincy Adams, Thomas Benton, Hamilton Fish, Henry Wise, Alexander Stevens, Jefferson Davis, Robert Toombs. During her lifetime, she knew President Van Buren and dined with him regularly. She knew Presidents Tyler, Polk, and for 50 years was a friend of President Cleveland. Now you think, wow, she was doing this at such a young age, but it wasn't until age 31 that she actually came to Christ. She says at the John Street Methodist Church, she wrote, after prayer was offered, they began to sing the grand old consecration hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. And when they reached the third line of the fifth stanza, Here, Lord, I give myself away. My very soul was flooded with celestial light. Blind for all of her life, Fanny was the greatest hymn writer that we've ever seen in the church today. As I said, 8,000 hymns, 100 million copies of those in circulation. Now, this may be more of a history lesson for us today than anything else, but it's a history of those who gave all that they had because of the power of Christ within them. And they did fantastic things, things that were above and beyond anything that they were able to do, like Stephen. Stephen had a short time in ministry, but he impacted so many lives. They followed the call of Christ. They were empowered by the Spirit. They do things we still talk about today, hundreds and even thousands of years later, not for their own glory, but for the glory of our Heavenly Father. To be united with Christ, empowered by the Spirit, you will find that you are able to do things as well. Just like Ephesians says, that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're we're just plain people here. Yes, uh, there's, there are lots of intelligence here. There are particular gifts. But we're just plain people who, who want to serve you. Who know that because of salvation that has come to us in Christ, because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, when we are obedient to you, when we act according to your word and, to, and your will, that there, is, there are so many things that we can achieve. And it's not that we want to achieve them so that our name will be on the, on the bulletin board somewhere. 
But Lord, help us achieve them for your glory. Help us achieve them so that the things of Christ move forward, that others hear the gospel, Lord, that our hearts would be, would be broken, that we would be in prayer for those around us who are lost, that our knees would be sore because we have spent time before you, that our hearts would be poured out before you, that our very lives, like Paul, a drink offering poured out before you, used for your purposes. Lord, it, it, we don't really care. If anybody remembers our name, Lord, we care if they remember your name. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. What's the hymn?